Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Casey continues his deep dive into Exodus chapter one. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. So uh, if you guys remember last week, we started Exodus chapter one. And what we did was uh, I read to you the entire chapter and we spent the majority of our time talking about Pharaoh. And if you remember the story, um, Joseph passes away and the Pharaoh that knows Joseph and was friends with Joseph passes away. A new Pharaoh or uh, some of your translations will say king arose to power in Egypt and he didn't know Joseph. And so he wasn't favorable towards him. And he saw all of Joseph's kinsmen the people of Israel uh, growing and multiplying. And if you remember, we spent most of last week talking about his response to being threatened uh, by as like having his position threatened, uh, dealing with the, uh, the environment of what if. And uh, we talked a lot about the fear of the Lord and assigning false motives to people because that's really what Pharaoh did. The nation of Israel starts growing uh, in the land of Goshen, which is part of Egypt. And Pharaoh... Um, immediately gets frightened because he sees that there's a nation that's threatening his might. And uh, this nation is growing, and it's now, scholars will tell us, there's, there's uh, at least a million of them. And Egypt and the Pharaoh is threatened that another nation may rise up, that this nation may rise up and go to war against Egypt, even though it was completely unfounded. And so he says, hey, worst case scenario, in the event of war, these guys side with our enemies, they will wipe us out. So why don't we oppress them, put them into slavery and control them? Right. And what we saw was, again, he was assigning false motive to the Israelites that was never there. And so uh there's a few other points that I wanted to mention as it, as it relates to that. And we're going to start in verse 12. Uh, so if you remember, uh, so Pharaoh gets this idea. He goes, he says, hey, uh, I think we should oppress all of these guys for in the event of war, they'll join with our enemies and they'll kill us. Starting in verse 12, so this is what they do. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh, this is now the Israelites, they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. And the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors, which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, uh, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Pua. We'll talk about them next week. And he said, this is, this is important. Look at this. When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birthing stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do uh, as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Okay, so we're, gonna, we're just going to look at what I just read for the next 20 minutes. Amen? Okay, two observations. Here's the first one. Persecution causes God's people to thrive. Did you catch that in verse 12? It's the first thing I read. He says, uh, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Okay, persecution causes God's people to thrive. And this is really important for you and I to get because we don't live in persecution. 
Okay, so we, as Westerners and Americans, we, when we think about persecution, we don't really have a grid for it. Maybe some of you have maybe a small grid for it. Maybe you, you, you immigrated here, maybe you're second generation American, or perhaps you've been on a mission trip and you've seen real persecution. But the reality is you and I don't really get persecuted here. There's coming a day where we probably will, but right now we're just kind of looked down upon in some circles, okay? But here's the thing about persecution. It has to happen in order for God's people to thrive. If you've ever wondered why the Western church is in the state that it's in, I will tell you the answer right now. It's because we live in comfort. Pastor Dustin, he always says this. He says, um, he says uh, unless you have persecution, you end up bored. And he said, here's the thing about, uh, about kids who are bored, because bored kids fight. Because they just, their natural tendency is to fight with one another. And he says that that's what's happened in America. If you look at America and the way that denominations war against each other and churches compete against one another and we're always fighting and we're always tearing each other down, it's because we're bored. But in the day of persecution, when things start getting shaken and you're having to stand against the guy who doesn't speak in tongues and before thought that was the devil, all of a sudden you'll be in unity right? Persecution has always been God's like number one plan to bring us to full maturity. We see it in the Bible. We see the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. You can look at it as, as you can see it in the, the book of Jeremiah, right? In the book of Jeremiah, it's a stunning book. It's one of my favorite books to read because it's so offensive, right? God's people are a lot like the Western churches, living in compromise, one foot in, one foot out, kind of doing the religious thing, but also offering sacrifices to idols. And they're, they're doing all kinds of horrible things, but also doing all the good things, right? Their hearts are dull. They're not near to the Lord. God says, repent. They don't repent. God says, repent again. They don't repent. God's like, hey, repent, because I'm planning a calamity and persecution for you. And they're like, nah, no, we don't like that. We're going to kill that prophet. And they try to kill Jeremiah. So God sends back Jeremiah and he goes, okay, tell them judgment is now unavoidable. I am sending Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylons, to come and to take you guys captive and to persecute you. And it's stunning, right? He goes, he goes that's the only way to shock you out of the compromise that you're in. It's the only way to make you uncomfortable. It's the only way to get you to come back to me. And that's when you get that famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. Anyone can quote that for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to uh, prosper you, not to harm you, right? Hope in the future. He's like, he says all of that on the heels of, by the way, there's going to be 70 years of immense pain and judgment where I'm sending Babylon. They're going to take you. They're going to put you in their land and you're going to be persecuted. But I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. That's literally it. It's literally that. And then he goes on to detail what those plans are. He goes, it's, he doesn't say it's just plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He says, and in that day, you will seek me with all of your heart and you'll find me. You'll pray to me and I'll be found by you. Right? In other words, the only way to restore intimacy for the people of Israel, persecution. You see it in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit gets poured out, the church starts, man, and it's moving, things are going. But the problem is, God had already told him, Jesus already said, hey, I want you to go preach to Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. They were just hanging out in Jerusalem because they were comfortable. That's what they knew. It was their home. And God was like, yeah, I, that's not going to work. Persecution. They scatter. The gospel is preached to the entire earth. You and I are here as a result. And we see it at the end of the age. 
At the end of the age, the wheat and the tares are going to grow together and God is going to send persecution. We are going to have to face it. There's going to be immense trial and tribulation across the entire earth. And us as Christians are going to be shaken, especially the Western Christians. And all of a sudden we have to decide whether we're going to feed our families or whether we're going to stand with Jesus. When all of a sudden we're having to decide if we want to get the job or get the promotion or stand up for biblical values, right? Those are very real things that are coming. And what the, the, the what Revelation pictures, Zephaniah pictures, Zechariah, they say that there's a great end time revival at the same time as there's a great end time persecution. And so in the midst of this persecution, the wheat, the tares are starting to get a little separated and the underground church begins to thrive. And people are getting saved radically and set free. You see, persecution, it's actually really good for us as Christians. And you and I, we're actually lacking something right now because we don't do a lot of suffering and we don't do a lot of persecution. Now that's all in God's grace. And God's like, he's, he's like, hey, that's okay. I'm gonna work with you right now. But just know there's gonna be times in your life where God gives you trials and suffering and pain. And the principle that we see in verse 12, the more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied, the more they spread out, that principle is gonna to apply to you and me. And so just know persecution is not a bad thing in the Bible. It's actually a really good thing. And when it comes... It's to be embraced and to be rejoiced over. And listen, I can say that right now because I'm not being persecuted. But in the moment, that's going to be really tough, right? But can we just all make a pact together? Can we just say, I'll see you in jail for preaching the gospel when that day comes? How dope would that be? Like we haven't met in a couple of years because like, you know, things are rough and we're like labeled as terrorists because we're hate speech and we're, we're spreading hate groups and stuff like that. And, and all of a sudden it's like, I just won't stop preaching the gospel. And I walk into the, the jail and I see John and I see Cassie. Jalen's over there. How dope is that going to be? I expect nothing less, gatekeepers. There's something about affliction and discomfort, pain and suffering. Prison ministry. There's something about pain. Uh, in suffering, affliction, and discomfort that shakes us of not just behavioral compromise, but heart compromise. When, um, when persecution comes and suffering comes, what happens to the people of God is they, we become really discontent with our religious activities and we start asking ourselves really hard questions like, do we really believe this? And all of a sudden it, it stops becoming like this kind of moderately important thing to us and it becomes the only thing that matters to us. Um, and I, I use this quote all the time. Some of you are probably tired of it, but you just need to get it in you because it deeply ministers to me. It's C.S. Lewis. He says, Christianity, if true, is of infinite importance and if false, is of no importance. He says, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important, wow. right? And that's a really powerful quote that though it's true today, we will really have to answer that question. How important is this? How real is this in the day and hour of trial? And can you imagine for a second if all of us really got that and said it's of infinite importance because it's true and it's the only thing that matters? What, what, would, what would the world look like if we stopped living as if it was moderately important? Well, we'll know when persecution comes. The truth is that persecution and affliction are one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give the church 
because it brings us back to our first love and it restores the sense of urgency we ought to be living with. I'll read again, verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out. And then the second thing I want to touch on uh, just briefly is the ploy of the enemy in verse 16. Um, so, so Pharaoh sees that there's this problem and I'm convinced that he's given himself to all kinds of demonic activities that we're seeing really the devil at this point working through Pharaoh. I have my reasons for it, but I'm, I'm pretty well convinced. Here's the deal. The devil is probably not going against anyone in this room. Okay. He's not omnipresent like the Lord. He can only be in one place at once, which means he's, he's utilizing his resources very well. We could be demonically afflicted. Absolutely. But the devil himself, he's going after the guy who's in charge of the earth. And at the time, it's Pharaoh. There's no one more powerful than Pharaoh, right? At the time, God's people are only in one place and they're right under the care of the Egyptians. And so you got Pharaoh who's over here under the influence of the devil, right? Maybe a precursor to the Antichrist is a good way to look at it. He decides, I'm going to persecute them, but look at the way that he does it. Verse 16, and he said, when you're helping with the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. And if it's a daughter, she shall live. Does that sound like familiar to anybody? That's not the only time we see that the devil's going after young men. That's not the first time we're going to see the devil try to destroy young babies. We see it the day of Jesus, right? And it's worth noting that God, he's actually going to repay this when he revisits Pharaoh and he revisits Egypt and comes as the angel of death and destroys the firstborn, right? And he says, you shall cast them into the Nile. That's what, that's what uh, Pharaoh's command was. Take the baby, cast them into the Nile. And again, it's also worth noting that one day God is going to repay him for that by destroying all the sons in the Red Sea the sons of Egypt and the Red Sea, causing the Red Sea to part and then to close on them, which I think is just, it's kind of interesting. But what you can't get away from is this truth. If Pharaoh, or Pharaoh knew that if he killed baby boys, that they could never grow up to become soldiers and fight against him. To destroy men is to destroy a nation. I'm gonna say this again. To destroy men is to destroy a nation. Now we're going to spend all of next week talking about the importance of women. So ladies, just sit back for a moment. <laughs> this truth is as real as it gets. There is a pointed attack among every man in this room because you're a man. Because men grow up not just to be soldiers, but to be fathers. And if he can get fathers, then he's destroyed the family unit. And if he's destroyed the family unit, he's destroyed a nation. And if he destroys the family unit, did you know that he destroys our number one tool of evangelism? Being fruitful and multiplying. Raising our kids in the fear of the Lord. Right? Literally, the devil has always, since the beginning of time, gone after men. And that should show you your importance, fellas. We live in a culture that would try to brush you aside in an effort to, to validate women where they haven't been validated before, which is right. In our culture, what's happened is if you're a man, you're pushed aside, that you're not as valuable, right? And here's what I'll tell you. 
you are immensely valuable. We need men in this country and in this world to be men, to grow up, to be strong in the Lord, to be, uh, to be uh, uh, compassionate where they can be compassionate, to be strong where they need to be strong, to be holy, to be godly, to be men of the word, to be men of deep love. We need peacemakers. We need men to be men, okay? And if the devil can get you, he's literally one. You see the epidemic right now going on in our nation. All of the chaos is happening and you can literally point it back to one thing, fatherlessness. He's kept men from growing up. And now here's the thing. I'm gonna list just some ways that you can see a very pointed attack against men in our generation. Now, please don't think this is political. This is not me making a political statement. The problem is because of everything going on with transgenderism and feminism and, and all of this stuff that's happening, it's, it's almost become a political issue. I don't care about the political thing, okay? I'm just trying to tell you, this is how the enemy is attacking men. He's attacking men with gender confusion, with role confusion, removing the sanctity of marriage with pornography. Uh, he's keeping a generation trapped in adolescence. I'm gonna go back to that in just a moment. Giving false propaganda for what a man looks like. Now this could go either way, but I'll just tell you right now, you do not have to have a beard, uh, dip, go hunting to be considered a man, okay? You really don't, okay? But listen, that's one of the ways that he's actually attacking men is he's trying to say, hey, unless you look like this, you're not a real man. And so what happens to the person who doesn't dip, who can't grow a beard and who really isn't into hunting or fishing, but would much rather cook? What's happening to him? He's told he's feminine. That he needs to embrace the feminine side of himself, right? And he starts questioning, well, maybe, I, maybe I was born in the wrong body. Right now, listen, I've heard people, I've got, we got friends of ours who go to this community who said, listen, because I grew up and I had feminine traits and I didn't match the description that culture said a man is, culture told me I was actually a woman and I believed him for 20 years. Right? That's a very real thing. Look, go back to this, uh, keeping a generation trapped in adolescence. This is like a, a point that I, I make sometimes and I get a little, a little frustrated. Not frustrated with anybody in this room. Just know this. I'm just frustrated with the devil. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the term adolescence. Okay, that's not a real term. That doesn't exist. That's not biblical. Let me just shatter the way that you think. See, the way God designed it is you went from boy to man. You were a child and you were trained how to be a man and then you turned 13 and you became a man and you got very real responsibilities. And they got married at 13 and 14 and 15. And I realize that's absolutely crazy. And I'm not saying that we should do that. Okay. But here's what we've done in our society and our Western postmodern educated society. We've added this, this third little thing right in the middle called adolescence. And what adolescence is, is, is it's this excuse to behave like a boy, but get the freedom of a man. I get all the, all the, all the uh, freedoms of being a man, but none of the responsibilities. And here's the thing about adolescence is nobody can even tell you how long it lasts. It starts around 17, 18. And then you can be in your 30s and still be an adolescent. That's unbiblical and it's not the way that it was designed. Okay? 
and as men, we need to recognize that, as a, especially as godly believing men, like, like Bible believing men, we don't do the adolescence thing. We go from boy to man. We go from boy to man, ladies. Guess what? The same thing applies for you, okay? Girl to woman. Oh, don't oh, oh, right? This isn't, this isn't a rebuke, okay? But you just need to understand that the enemy is trying to keep you in that stage of adolescence as long as he can. He's going to do everything he can to get you to shirk off responsibilities, right? And enjoy your freedom. That's not what we do. As men, as Bible-believing Christian men, we are to go from boy to man, child to an adult, Okay, and if you are in this room, chances are you're an adult and that means you're not an adolescent. And so don't buy the lie that says you get to act like a child and you get to do childish things. You know, you put those things away and you pick up adult things. Now, I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord to figure out what that is. That may not be just putting down the Xbox, right? That's kind of what we go to is like, well, all the women in there are like, tell them to put down the Xbox, right? I don't know if that's it, but I'll tell you this. It does mean getting a job. Okay, listen. You were unemployed like six months ago. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? But here's the thing, all right? It looks like starting to take some responsibility, not just for your actions, but the direction of your life. Right. And you do that in lots of different ways. You're going to do that primarily by leaning into the Lord and allowing him to lead you. OK, but this whole sleeping in until noon and then just kind of working 10 hours a week and then just hanging out with your friends and doing nothing that we don't do that. OK, and we don't do that. Here's the deal. We don't do that. I'm not saying that to shame anybody here, because, by the way, I did that. OK, we don't do that because we're Christians and we're called to be producers. We're not called to be consumers. And the problem is, is that lifestyle will trap you. And if you're not careful, you'll be in that well into your 30s. And next thing you know, you've lost your prime. Right? This right now is so important for you men to get. You are an adult and you're a man. And that means you take responsibility. And if you are not going to be who God's made you to be, the devil will win. Because as powerful as women are and as valuable as women are, they cannot be what you were created to be in the same way that you cannot be what they were created to be. If he can get you, he's won. The fatherlessness epidemic that is happening, the, the uh, epidemic of broken homes in our society, it's unbelievable. We need you men to grow up to not just stay in your Christian bubble, but to go out in the marketplace. We don't just need missionaries. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, we don't just need missionaries. We need accountants. We need FAs, right? We need managers. We need, we need godly men in every environment in our society. And we need them to grow up, get married, treat women the way God wants them to be treated, to elevate them, to value them, to love them, to treasure them, to care for them, just as Jesus did the church, and to have children and to raise their children in the fear of the Lord. That's what we need. But it literally starts with you. Fellas, you hearing me? Okay. I love you. This is not a rebuke, by the way. As a matter of fact, I meet with lots of you, and I'm more proud and more excited about what you guys are doing than I am most other people. I know you guys. I know that you're trying. 
I talk to people all the time in this room and you know who you are and you're like, I'm just, I'm just trying to get up at eight o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to get my, my time in with the Lord and I'm trying to be productive today because I want to be a good husband one day. So ladies, a few years from now, you're going to thank me. So what does that mean for the ladies in the room? Here's what this means. This, this should help you understand how to pray for us. Because you're sisters in the Lord. Right? And we need you. And we need you to value us, to not put us on the back burner in the name of feminism or in the name of valuing you. Everybody can be valued. Everybody can be equal. Okay? It's totally okay. Right? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor male nor female. Right? And I got a whole thing that I could talk to you about how awesome women are in the Bible, and you're going to see it a lot in Exodus. But we need you ladies to be praying for us men. We need it. So you got a man in your life. I'm not saying like a romantic, but like a brother in the Lord. You need to pray for him. You need to do what you can. You need to call him out when he's being kind of childish. Do it lovingly, right? Don't do it with like pride in your heart. We'll be like, hey, remember that sermon where we kind of talked about whole, you know, boy to man. You're on the other side. You need to go back. You need to go man. Right? And you need to give grace. Okay? All right. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye.